Aristotle taught that, in theory, monarchy was the best form of government because he envisioned that the monarch would be the most virtuous person in society. And so it would be logical to give this person sole and exclusive political power. However, Aristotle was sensible enough to realize that in practice, it didn't often work out like that. No one person was consistently virtuous enough to be trusted with absolute power. He recognized that monarchy too easily degenerated into tyranny, which is the worst form of government. And if you've ever had a job where you have served under a virtuous boss or supervisor, you know how rewarding and ennobling that can be. It's so wonderful that you might actually prefer to be receiving direction rather than giving it. But sadly, if you have ever worked under a tyrannical boss, then you know that it is one of the most demeaning and humiliating experiences that you can ever have. The other forms of government that Aristotle considered, besides monarchy, didn't fare too much better. There was aristocracy, which is the rule by a relatively small group of excellent people. But Aristotle saw that it too easily became oligarchy which was the oppression of the many to serve the needs of the few. The other option was democracy, rule by all of the people. But Aristotle recognized that it too easily becomes mobocracy, tyranny to the whims of the majority, who are often uninformed about public affairs. So Aristotle reasoned that, in practical terms, the best way to obtain the advantages of each of these three forms of government while mitigating their defects was to constitute a government so that there were elements of monarchy, rule by one, aristocracy, rule by a few, and democracy, rule by the many, each balancing the other and preventing the state from degenerating into tyranny or oligarchy or mob rule. In a sense, although we tend to think of them as very different, both the government of the United States and the Catholic Church are organized in this way. They divide power, combining elements of monarchy, aristocracy, and democracy. The difference, however, is the way that the source of power is conceived. In the Church, the power is viewed as flowing down from Christ through to the Pope, and down through the various levels of hierarchy in the church and onto the faithful. By contrast, political power in the United States is seen as emanating from the people and flowing up through the various levels of office holders. Of course, there is a great tradition amongst American Catholics of denigrating both institutions, the church and the government. The church because she is not democratic in theory, and the American government because we don't like the way that it is democratic in practice. But today is the feast of Christ the King, and reflecting upon the fact that we call Christ our King, and not our leader, or our president, or our chief executive made me think of a conversation that I had with an evangelical Protestant friend some years ago. And he had said, 
I don't get you Catholics. We had a lot of conversations that started out that way. He wanted to talk about the Eucharist. And he said, if you really think that the bread and wine is Jesus, I don't understand why a Catholic would get more dressed up and be more nervous and anxious to meet the Pope than he would be to just go to Mass and receive the Eucharist. And I thought it was a good point, and I did not have an immediate response. And being a lawyer, that bothered me. So, what's the answer? Do we Catholics not have our priorities straight? Well, I suppose I could take the easy way out and could say that, of course, we should respect the Eucharist which is truly the body and blood of Christ our Savior, more than we respect the Pope or any other person in the world. And that's true, of course we should. And no doubt all of us would do well to reflect upon and find ways to honor the Eucharist more, and to receive our Lord more worthily at Mass. But does this necessarily mean that we should dress up in our darkest and most somber suit or dress, and with nervous anxiety await the start of the Mass like we would a papal audience? I don't think so. And the reason is, is because Christ is perfect. The Pope and other prelates, no matter how good they may be, they are, like us, imperfect. And so the increasing formality with which we treat a man holding a greater office in the Church or in our government, or in some other position in the secular world, is a precaution. It is a precaution that is necessary in a fallen world to maintain both the dignity of those in great authority as well as our own dignity, to guard against our possibly giving offense and the leader's possible overreaction to that offense and his abuse of his authority towards us. In the words of Edmund Burke, Such formality is like good table manners, the decent drapery of political life, which makes power gentle and obedience liberal. But Christ, on the other hand, while he is our King and Lord, is perfect in love, perfect in knowledge, perfect in understanding. So we approach him with reverence, of course, but also with a friendliness, with a familiarity that we can attain with no other human authority because we know that he will not fail us. There can be no misunderstanding or awkwardness. And should we fail him, his mercy is infinite. This is the essence of Christ's kingship. We remember that Jesus said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones make their authority over them felt. But it shall not be like this among you. Instead, following the example of Christ, we learn that all power is to be exercised as love. Because of that, we know that we can approach Christ with complete confidence. After all, he became one of us. That's different to say that he was elected by us as our leader. That would make Christ's kingship a function of our will, not his. Instead, our solidarity with Christ exists on a far more fundamental level. Christ is not our king because we chose him, but because he chose us.
not as a tyrant who decides for his own purposes that he will conquer and enslave a people in order to do his bidding. Rather, Christ, as the second person of the Trinity, became one of us by divine condescension. He was willing to suffer the indignity of becoming man and all of the frailty and the pain that this would entail, while still retaining the dignity of being God. Christ was on the cross not because we elected to put him there, but because without our necessarily even realizing it, we needed him to atone for our sins. And he chose to respond freely, in love, suffering death for us in both his humanity and in his divinity. That's what it means to be a true king, a true champion of his people, suffering for us out of love, even when we are too blinded by our own sins to recognize our need for it, using his power to serve our good. St. Paul said that Christ would destroy every sovereignty and every authority and every power on earth. Well, he would, not by obliterating them, because of course we need some authority in our world, but by giving us as Christians a new model for that authority. Power in Christ's day was seen as the rightful subjugation of the weak to the powerful. But in a world touched by Christian grace... Power will be seen as a solemn charge to love those over whom and for whom power is exercised. And that's something that we would all do well to reflect upon in our own lives. Whatever power we might have, whether that's in a family or in the business world or in government or in the church, we ought to reflect upon the fact that we should be exercising that power out of love and not for any other motive because we will be strictly accountable to God in the end for whatever power he has entrusted to us. Christ also left us with an instruction that could come from no earthly ruler, that shows that he was nothing other than what he said he was, the Son of God. He said, love one another as I have loved you. In other words, I don't need anything from you but that you love one another. And in today's gospel, he said that if you want to serve me, serve the poor and the hungry and the lonely and the sick. That is all the honor that is demanded by a true king, one who lives for his people and not for himself.